one of the things you'll notice as we move into this next section of Exodus, a lot of the passages are pretty long. So just prepare yourself. You know, one of the things that the New Testament tells pastors to do is to commit themselves to the public reading of Scripture. So just reading long passages of Scripture is something we're commanded to do in the Bible. So if you think, wow, there's a lot to read all at once, that's something we're supposed to do together. And this is especially, has a whole list of names in it, so I'm, I'll do my best to pronounce those properly. But uh, let's turn our hearts now to God's Word, Exodus uh, chapter 6. Hear the Word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them, out of, this, out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because uh, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. Uh, How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jemin, Ohad, Jachin, Zahar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, uh, Libni and uh, Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, uh, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishabah, the daughter of Aminadab, 
and uh, the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Uh, Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Whew! A lot of names. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would apply these ancient words to our lives now. By your Holy Spirit, give us hearts willing to hear from you, eager to uh, repent and believe. So we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So two weeks ago, if you were here, uh, we looked at a puzzling passage from... Uh, the book of Exodus about Moses' wife, Zipporah, and we had a sermon about called The Art of Being a Wife. And as I promised, conveniently, this passage uh, lists the heads of a number of, households, a number of the households among God's people. You saw that there in verse 14 where it says, these are the heads of their father's houses. And so this gives us the opportunity to talk about what it means. We talked about what it means to be a wife Today we're going to talk about what it means to be a husband. And I know that that title, the title of the sermon, Headship, might be a word that makes some of your skin crawl. And you might feel that, you know, you just went through a time warp and now we're back in some olden time, you know, archaic uh, time in history when the men were, were in charge of the household. And, is that, and you might be saying, is that really what we're doing? Are we turning back the clock today to look at that? And I say, yes. That's what we're doing. <laughs> but I want to say we're going to look at what does the Bible mean about headship, which may be very different than what you might understand as a traditional family. We're not talking about what a traditional family is. We're talking about what the Bible says. And so if you hear the word headship and you think of male chauvinism or the husband bossing the wife around and she's waiting on him all the time, uh, that's, not, that's not anywhere in the Bible. You will not find that in the Bible. In fact, it says in the book of 1 Timothy that wives are called to manage their households well. So they're the man. In some ways, you know, who's the boss of the house? The manager, right, is the wife. And so, you know, if you came to me after church and talked to me about getting together in two weeks or something like that, that would be the first thing I'd say to you. Well, I need to check with my wife and see if, they, if we can do that or if that's okay. And, um, and so there's a difference between ma- being a manager and being the head. Both are important. And uh, so, what does it mean when the Bible says that a husband, father, is the head of his household? Three things we're going to look at this morning. This is what they are. That headship is covenantal. 
Headship is taking responsibility, and headship is spiritual leadership. Three things about what the Bible means. It's covenantal, it's taking responsibility, and it's spiritual leadership. I have a lot to say on the topic, so let's, let's jump right into it. So first, headship is covenantal. And if that word covenant is a new word for you, the concept of a covenant is what's one of the most important concepts to understanding what the Bible is about. And it's, um, it's one of the most important in understanding what the Bible means by headship. And this passage I just read begins with a recounting of the covenant that God made with his people Israel. You probably caught that word covenant in there. Look, I'm going to read it to you again, this long section, verse 2, where it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So you notice twice the use of that word covenant. But also, what does that passage do? It was a whole list of all the promises that God made to his people Israel. He was going to give them land. He's going to save them out of slavery in Egypt. He's going to be their God, and he promises to be their people. And if you notice, in verse 2 and in verse 8, at the beginning and the end of that passage, it starts and ends with this statement, I am the Lord which is a formula we know in other ancient Near Eastern documents, is a formula that a king would use when he is making a solemn pronouncement. It's like he's taking a vow. He's making a promise. He is binding himself to something. And so the relationship of God to his people is structured around solemn covenant promises. And in many ways, that's what the story of the Bible is about. The Bible is about God making promises to his people and telling the story about how he kept those promises. Um, but in an important piece of understanding the Bible's, what the Bible says about covenants is to recognize that God uh, relates to his covenant people through a covenant representative or a covenant head, a person who acts as the head of God's people. And so you see some of those covenant heads mentioned in this passage. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Kind of the leaders, the father of God's people. And then God is now speaking to his people through Moses. Moses acts as the covenant head. And in many ways, if you read the story of the Old Testament, you'll find that the story of the Old Testament isn't so much about the people of Israel, but it's about this one man who stands as the covenant head. It's about Noah. It's about Abraham. It's about Moses, it's about Joshua, it's about Samuel, it's about David, it's about all these kings of Israel. If you ever read through the story, it's really about the life of the people is tied to this one man. And the story of the Bible as a whole has two main covenant heads who are over all of them. There is Adam, 
who's the covenant representative of all of humanity, Adam sinned against God, and now we are all sinners. We've all been alienated from God. We, have, um, we are all uh, um, die because of what Adam did. We are under Adam's covenant headship. Jesus comes as a second Adam. And in Jesus, he gives us all the things that are his. And, and to believe in Jesus means to have Jesus as your covenant representative and your covenant head. That is what the whole Bible is about. Now, why am I telling you this? What does this have to do with marriage? Well, this structure, a covenant, a relationship held together by promises and obligations, is precisely how God has structured the family. So a marriage or a family begins with what? Covenant promises. Taking of solemn vows, promises, where two people bind themselves to each other. And just like the covenants in the Bible have a covenant representative or a covenant head, so does the family. And the Bible says that the covenant representative of that body, the family, is the father the, or the husband. He is the covenant representative. Now this is a very, this whole idea of what a family is is very foreign to our culture. What does our culture say is holding together a family? It's romance, right? It's about, marriage is about finding your soulmate, that perfect person that you guys just fit together and you get each other and it's just, you're in love and it's magical and you were destined and met, meant for each other. And, um, uh, which is remarkably unstable for a family. Um, over the course of a lifetime, your romantic feelings are going to be stronger sometimes, less strong other times. And if the thing that's holding together your whole family is your feelings, there's not going to be security in that family. Um, To hold a family together, to give it a sense of security and strength, you need something way more stable than romantic feelings to hold it together. And Christians throughout history, and actually most of humanity, have insisted that the family is an institution, which means it has a formal structure to it, and it is the formal vows of the wedding day that provide that structure. And institutions, in order to operate, have an authority structure built into them. The parents have authority over the children, and the father acts as the head of the household. And... um, I think that this covenantal nature, institutional nature of the family, is important to remember when we're reading things in the Bible, for example, about wives submitting to their husbands. One of the things, if you're a wife and you think, you know, how do I ever think of a wife submitting to her husband? One of the things that you're doing when you tell your children, we need to, you know, dad's the head of the household, and we need to show respect and honor to him, what you're saying is, I believe in the family. I believe in the institution of the family. I believe in the security and the structure of the family, that this isn't going to be broken. And one of the ways that you reaffirm those vows, reaffirm that you believe in the family, is by showing that honor and respect to this authority. Now, one of the things that we have to know is, though the Bible says that there's an authority structure like this in the family, it nowhere says that men in general are the heads of women in general. That is not in the Bible. And I'll tell you, that can happen in churches where men can kind of walk around, they come into a meeting and they talk over all the women because they think their voice is really important because they're the man and the women are less than the men. That is nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says that Christians as a whole, men and women, need to submit to their elders. Christians as a whole need to submit to the government who God has put over us. 
wives are called to submit to their husbands, but our life together here is that we as brothers and sisters submit to one another out of fear of Christ. That's what Ephesians 5 says, that we should be submitting to one another. We should never have a culture like that. So what does it look like to have an authority, a covenant head, and a family? Does that mean that the father has the final say in a decision? Well, I I do think it means that. If you come to a point where a husband and wife, we're not on the same page, and we're, we cannot resolve this, we can't get on the same page, I, I, do, I do think that the father has to make the ultimate decision. But I would say that in a healthy marriage, that is extremely rare. A healthy relationship of mutual trust and respect will result usually in being able to work toward a decision together. And oftentimes, the father, as a, as a covenant head, will say, you know what, my wife's smarter than me on this. I'm going to go with what she thinks because she's got some good thoughts on that. That should happen all the time. And I, I'll say, you know, not to say, I don't think I've ever in my marriage had to say, I'm the head of the household. You're just going to have to do what I say. I'm not saying that doesn't ever happen. Um, but if you find yourself regularly invoking that you are the head of the household, I would say that you have deeper issues in the marriage that need to be addressed than whatever is causing the disagreement. They're deeper, deeper issues, okay? So, headship is coming out. One other comment I want to make about this. For those of you women who would like to be married if you're not married, this is one of the biggest things you want to think about in going into marriage. You are not asking the question, is he charming? Does he make me laugh? You know, it, does he have a, a lot of money? The big question is, do I want him to be the covenant representative of my family? Is this someone I respect and that I will follow? And when it comes to making a hard decision, I will trust his decision that he will make decisions for the good of me and our children out of love. That is the big question you're asking when you're thinking about getting married. Okay? So the first point of this is that headship is covenantal. We need to understand the covenantal understanding of the Bible to understand the family. And it's rooted in how God relates to his people in the Bible through a representative. Now some of you, when you hear that word authority, again, that word authority implies to you that the husband gets whatever he wants. And that is not how the Bible understands being entrusted with authority. Authority in the Bible is about taking responsibility. When you have authority over something, that means that you are responsible for something. That the buck stops with you. The excuses stop with you. And so that's our second point, is that headship is taking responsibility. What does it mean to take responsibility? I want to highlight uh, uh, two things I want to highlight from this passage. To take responsibility means entering into brokenness, and entering into service. Entering into brokenness and entering into service. So first, taking responsibility means entering into brokenness. And you see this here, verse 9. Look what it says. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Moses was called to lead a people who were, we'll find out later, were actually sinful people. These are very, the people of Israel were very stubborn. They were unbelieving. They were always kind of changing their mind. They liked the Lord. They don't like the Lord. But also, they were a people who had been beat up, who had been abused, and their spirits were broken, and they were discouraged. And then it says in verse 10, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of the land. 
And so God says to Moses, the covenant head, I want you to stand for them. I want you to represent this beat up and broken people who they always change in their mind. I want you to stand up for them and I want you to speak for them. And so being the head of a household also means that you are called to lead a group of people who are sinful and who are broken. who are trying to figure out what it means to follow God. Some of you husbands, you may have a wife who has a broken spirit. It's hard for her to listen to you because she has a broken spirit. Entering into that brokenness is what it means to have authority, to take responsibility. You may have children who are rebellious, don't listen to you. That might be something you don't want to think about or you want to face. Entering into that with humility and love and saying, I want to talk about this, I want to face this. That's what it means to have authority and to take responsibility. And I'll tell you, almost everyone I've ever talked to has said that there have been dark times in their lives when they wish that a man who knew and loved them would have entered into the darkness and at least tried to say something or do something or be present or listen to them. And oftentimes, the responsibility to enter into brokenness is something that men want to run away from. Why do men want to run away from brokenness, brokenness and darkness, and darkness? Well, you'll notice that Moses wanted to run away from his responsibility as well as a covenant head. Look at what it says in verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. This is something that Moses repeats, that he doesn't speak well, he, you know, I'm not a good leader, I don't know what I'm doing. And the reason we run from responsibility is because we feel inadequate. When facing the brokenness of our families, we don't know what to do, and one of the things that's most important to men is knowing what to do. <laughs> so we can do it. Tell me what I need to do, and so I can do it. I'm good at doing things. But if it's darkness, and if it's broken, if it's confusion, I can't fix it, then I don't know what to do. And so I want to run away from that. And I put a quote from, for you on page three of your bulletin. If you want to turn there, it's a little longer paragraph that I want to read to you. This is from Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb's book, um, The Silence of Adam. This is what he says. For many men... One question stands out among others as the one that matters most. What should I do? When a man finds himself in a place where the question cannot be answered, he moves to a place where it can. When he looks around and realizes he has wandered into a confusing situation where courage and creativity are required, he finds a way to return to the sphere of management, to some activity or responsibility where his skill and know-how are useful, where his inadequacy and fear will not be exposed, where the courage to live in an unpredictable world is not required. In short, he retreats to where he can find an answer to his burning question. God calls a man to speak into darkness, to remember who God is and what he has revealed about life, and with that memory uppermost in his mind, to move into his relationships and responsibilities with the imaginative strength of Christ. I think that's an immensely powerful paragraph. Some men, you might take your bulletin home and read that again and, and think about it. And I think it explains why 
so many men want to spend so much time in their hobbies, in their work, is because they're good at their hobbies and their work. They know what to do. They've learned the appropriate skills. But relationships are much more complicated, and what to do isn't always obvious. And so entering into brokenness is the heart of what it means to be the head of your family. Entering into brokenness is the heart of what it means to be the head of your family. For those of you who are husbands, fathers, heads of your households, what are those areas of darkness that you are avoiding? I don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about it later. What are they? Being the head of the household means that you're willing to enter in and talk about them, and you might not know all the answers. But you are called to remember who God is and keep that foremost in your mind. Now, some of you might say, well, what's wrong with doing? Isn't doing (laughs) helpful? Isn't that a good thing? And I do think that's the second part of taking responsibility, is taking responsibility is not only entering into brokenness, but also entering into service. And, you know, there's a, a... a great scene in the Gospels where uh, Jesus is talking with his disciples and two of his disciples ask him, hey, can we sit at the right hand, your right hand and your left in your kingdom? Can we just, can we be awesome in your kingdom? And what uh, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, in my kingdom, to be a leader, to have authority is different than the world. You know, in the world, people use their authority to be domineering, to be intimidating, to boss people around, to make sure everyone does what they want. That's not how it is in my kingdom because I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. I'm the son of man. I'm God's own son. And I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That is Jesus' model for leadership is to be a servant. That looks like sacrificing. What is it to be a servant? You know, I, I think of it this way, that, that the head of the household is a servant. It means, you know, this might be an extreme example, but, you know, if a family doesn't have very much money and they can only get a little bit of food, it's not that dad gets to eat because he's the biggest and more, most important. It's No, it's that the children eat. It's the dad who doesn't eat. He's the one who lets it go. He says, no, you guys, you need to eat. I am here to serve you. I'm supposed to sacrifice. And actually, for, if you were here two weeks ago, one of the points that we talked about being a wife and what it means to follow your husband into his calling, and if some of you who are here might have thought, you know, that is a really hard thing as a wife to hear, that I'm supposed to follow my husband into his calling. And to do that, I feel like a part of me is dying. Well, I'll tell you, that's true for the husband as well. When he comes into a family, often... Husbands have work, they have hobbies, they have all kinds of... I'm a person who has all kinds of interests. I'm interested in everything. And as soon as you get married and you start having children, a lot of those things got to die, right? Or you get to do them a lot less. You don't get to do them nearly with the freedom that you used to when you were single. And so a part of him needs to die too. And um, do you think you can be the head of a household without sacrifice? For a family to work, both the husband and the wife must learn to die to themselves. And this is one of the biggest things Jesus intends to teach us through marriage, is what it means to die to yourself. That's what he's teaching us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So headship, so far, is a covenantal reality that makes the structure of the family 
which means that a man is called to take responsibility by entering into brokenness and entering into service. And so I think that all of this tells us there's a deeply spiritual aspect to being the head of a household. And that's our last point, is that headship is spiritual leadership. Headship is spiritual leadership. Now this passage gives a list of names, you read all those names I tried to pronounce properly, um, which are the, house, the, the heads of some of the households that lived in Egypt. And um, there is a special attention, you may have noticed in this passage, to the sons of Levi. Uh, you see that there in verse 16 where it says, so first it says the sons of Reuben, one verse given to the sons of Reuben, then one verse given to the sons of Simeon, and then verse 16 it says, these are the names of the sons of Levi. And the whole rest of the list is given to the sons of Levi. Now this is at least important because Moses and Aaron, who are some of the, two of the most important characters in the story, are Levites. They come from the tribe of Levi. But I think it's also important to recognize that the Levites were the spiritual leaders of Israel. Being the head of the household means you are the spiritual leader of your family. And, you know, some of you men, you may be tempted to say, I'm, I'm not a spiritual leader of my family. You know, my wife, she reads the Bible all the time and prays, and she goes to the women's Bible study. She knows way much more spiritual than I am. She's the true spiritual leader of the family. Wrong. You may be a faithful spiritual leader of your family, or you may be a, a spiritual leader who's abdicating or neglecting his responsibility, but whether you like it or not, God has pronounced that you are the spiritual leader of your family. And actually, there's a, there was a remarkable study that was done in the 90s in Switzerland, which almost happened by accident. I, I think it was the government in, in Switzerland was doing all kinds of statistics about the cultural life of Switzerland. And one of the things they just happened to study was the question about um, what determined whether a person would carry on the convictions of their family in terms of their religious life. You know, that whether the children would carry on their parents' convictions. And... And what this study found was that if you had a father who was not practicing, didn't ever go to church, but you had a mother who went to church all the time, only 2% of the children became Christians or became regular church attenders. Conversely, if you had a father who went to church every week, was a regular church attender, and you had a wife who never went to church, 44% of the kids ended up being regular church attenders. They were following the spiritual life of their father. And that is 22 times different. Now, by the way, some of you, if you are a single mom, or if you, uh, you, know, you have a husband who is not a Christian, you hear that statistic and that freaks you out about your children, I wouldn't look at statistics for your hope. I would look at the Bible. You, know, you have people like Timothy. Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mother and his grandmother. St. Augustine, a great hero of the church, he was, his spiritual life was formed by his mother. And I think mothers are immensely important. But that statistic tells, uh, the point is that the weight that God has given to the covenantal head the, uh, of the father is immense. And so what does it mean for a husband or father to be the spiritual leader of his family? And I think what Larry Crabb said is really a great way to state it. They are to remember who God is. They're to remember what God has said and to remind the family about who God is. To enter into the darkness, enter into confusion, and remember what God has said about himself. It is knowing what we believe as a family. 
what we stand on, what we stand for. It's about being principled. It's about having conviction. And this is a simple thing. Saying, I believe we are going to go to a church that believes the Bible. I understand enough theology to know what a good church is teaching, you know, good, good things. We are going to worship God on the Lord's Day. That is the top priority of our week. That's the first thing that gets scheduled is we're going to spend Sunday morning with God's people worshiping, and God's going to speak to us, and we're going to come to his table. We are going to love each other as a family. We're going to love our neighbors. We, we're going to say to God that all of our possessions belong to you. We're going to tie to our church. These are not complicated things, but leader, leadership is about convic- conviction. It's about being principled. And I'll tell you, being principled and being a servant should go together. You know, there, I, there was a, a pastor who's in our presbytery, older pastor who's about to retire, and I'm friends with his, uh, um, with his, uh, Shannon and I are friends with his daughter, and she was telling us that when she was growing up, her dad had this conviction that after church, they wanted to have newcomers into their house every Sunday. And so he said, this is the conviction I have. So you know what he did? He cleaned the house every Saturday. And he helped cook the food to be a servant to help the family follow their convictions. It's not saying, I have these convictions, now you all are going to go do it. It's I'm going to be a servant. And that's what you see in the Bible with Adam and Eve, that Adam was entrusted with the word of God. Adam was given the commandments of what God said to obey him, to not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and he was called to work and to guard the garden. He was supposed to guard the garden. If anyone comes into the garden lying, Adam was supposed to silence the liar, to kill the serpent, which he, of course, failed to do. Now, some of you may hear that, you know, having conviction, knowing some theology, knowing what you believe about the Bible, and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a theological person. I'm not bookish. I know other guys in the church read a lot, and I'm just not a good reader. I don't think like that. It's hard for me to read a book. Well, you don't need to be a Bible scholar. You may have to do some reading. A question comes up in your family. You might need to ask a pastor or an elder, hey, you got a book I can recommend? Maybe something short that I could get through? That's fine. Or could I sit down with you with a Bible and you could show me some of the verses of what the Bible teaches about this? Could you teach me? You could ask your homework group leader. That is action. That is taking responsibility. And actually, I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I saw an interview with Anne Voskamp, who's a Christian writer. I haven't read any of her books. Some of you have probably read some of Anne Voskamp's books. And she was talking about how her husband is a, a farmer. And, you know, she has read all these books, and she knows all this theology, and she writes these Christian books. And, you know, he's, she was saying, you know, he's kind of a simple farmer. He's, he's not going to read all these books. But he actually made a little study for her out on their farm where she could get away from their six kids and just write. And he really believed in her cultivating her mind. But one of the things she said is that since they worked in the house every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they would eat together, and her husband would open the Bible and read to them. She probably knows a lot more than he does. But she said that is essential for our family to anchor us who we are and what we believe in. And it means more that he's opening the Bible and reading it to the family than all, you know, how much more knowledge that she has. She said, I need that. You don't need to be brilliant. You don't need to be a Bible scholar in order to be the spiritual head. And so headship is about spiritual leadership. And you might be here and say, I, I haven't done that. I, maybe for years. I haven't done that. What do you do? This is the good news of the gospel. 
I'm going to invite you to repent. Repentance means you admit to God, I haven't embraced that this is my calling. You might admit it to your wife or your children. And that doesn't mean saying, well, now I'm going to do it perfectly and I'm going to be awesome. No. It's going to say, um, I need to learn and, uh, and I'm going to resolve to learn how to do that. But repentance is turning to Jesus. And you still might say, but it seems like so much responsibility. It's such a big weight. And you might say, you know, I, uh, I wish I had that as a kid. I wish I had a dad who took responsibility, who entered into brokenness and spoke to me in my dark times and didn't run away and didn't just go to his hobbies and didn't just go to his work and wasn't afraid of the relationships of the family. I wish I had that, but I'm not sure I know how to do that. Spiritual leadership is about having your family shaped by the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 11, listen to what this says. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. You hear the order? The head of every man is Christ. Before you can be the head of a wife, you need Christ as your head. You need to see how he entered into the darkness and brokenness for you. You need to see how he served and sacrificed for you because you are loved. And when that happens, then all of that inadequacy, that I don't know what to do, I don't know the things to say, is an opportunity to say to your family, come with me to Jesus. I don't have this figured out. You don't have this figured out. Let's go find Jesus' grace together. And I'll tell you, that's all your wife wants. That's all your children want. It's not about you being the invincible, perfect dad who knows everything and can do no wrong. It's about finding together that Jesus is our covenant head that we've all been longing for. Let's pray together.